Father God, we're grateful for your presence amongst us, Lord, and we thank you that you are a good, good Father. Please um, speak to us all, Lord, and meet us where we're at, Lord. We just need you, and we recognise and we acknowledge that we need you, Father. Without you, we can do nothing. And we so desperately need you, Father. Um, please speak to us um, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so this morning I'm just going to begin by sharing uh, a bit about Joshua and about his story and just to take us through the journey. Today we're going to just concentrate on chapter, on chapter 1. And um, it's quite interesting how, the, how his story begins. And it begins with God speaking to him in nine verses, I believe, eight or nine verses. He starts. But um, at the beginning, like verse one starts with... Um, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, I, Moses, my servant is dead. It almost appears like he's telling him that his servant... That Moses died, and this is the first time that Joshua is aware of it. Because if not, I would say something like, as you know, Moses is dead. Moses died. So now we need to move on, or now we need to do something. But he just, and again, it's just playing with words. It's not something that I could prove to you, or that is definitely for a fact. But it's quite interesting that God speaks to him and says, my servant is dead. So his servant is no longer there, and um, and I'm sure that even though Joshua was on this journey for a long time, and we know that he was on this journey with Moses at least 40 years, because through there was only two people that left Egypt that are going into the Promised Land. Joshua's one, and who's the other one? Caleb. Caleb. That's right. And why did they? Why were they the only two? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that they had, they were the only ones that came back with positive news when they went spies. So we'll look at that also a little later on. But Moses confronted Pharaoh. Moses called down the plagues. Moses parted the Red Sea. He met God at Mount Sinai, and he led the people through the wilderness and a really challenging and difficult time. And now, all of a sudden, Moses is dead. You know, here is a leader that was just an amazing man, an amazing man of God to these people. So imagine how they felt. What happens now? And God told him, God said to Moses, that you will lead my people to the promised land, but you will never enter it, set foot in it. You know, and when you look at, um, we'll talk a little bit more about Moses, but it's quite interesting Moses learned, and there was a reason why that happened, because he wanted to take matters into his own hands, right? That's why he didn't enter into the promised land. And when he's at Mount Horeb, he says in, in chapter, the chapter before this, that um, God took him to the mountain and he showed him the whole land that he promised the Israelites. And he was 120 years old. And there was something interesting there that he says his, his strength was still with him. He was still a strong person. 120 years old. Who would take that? 120 and be still strong? 
You take that score and God can take me at 120, yeah? Have my strength. And there's something else that he says in that verse. What else did he have? His eyesight. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because God wanted to show him the promised land. What's the point? There was no glasses in those days. Could you imagine? Try to close your eyes a little bit and go a little bit dim. And imagine that your eyesight's really bad like that. Could you imagine seeing it? That God says that he took him to the top of the mountain. He said all the way from here to the Mediterranean Sea. So he saw this amazing vast that he promised the Israelites that God wanted Moses to see before he took him home. And it's just incredible how God took care of his eyesight. And we'll learn a couple of new other things also about what happened in the wilderness. But now Moses is dead. And who will do what will happen to us? Who will we, what will we do? Who will lead us? All these thoughts must have been going through the Israelites' mind. Do you think that they already knew enough about Joshua that they could trust Joshua? No. Being Moses' right-hand man, it's almost like God prepared him for this. And he had him on this journey for a long time. He was with him. Most of you have heard of John and um, Charles Wesley. And um, John was a preacher and he travelled across England, as you all know. He lived in the 1700s, I think 1703 he was born. He lived about 80 years of age he was. And his brother was, um, was very famous to write hymns. And he wrote over 9,000 hymns, including Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's one of the hymns that he wrote. But when they died, they, they kept this movement and there was a revival that took place not only in England but also on the east coast of America. And when they died, that some, it lasted for about 280 years. But in 1876, which is about 100 years after he passed away, um, England in Westminster Abbey thought that they'll erect a monument for him. And at the bottom were the words that actually Charles Wesley he, he, he wrote these words and he says, God buries his workmen, but carries on the work. Isn't that... I mean, it's almost like this should be the subtitle to Joshua chapter 1. God buries his workmen, but carries on the work. He buried Moses, but the people have to go into the promised land. He has to continue. And that happens in every generation. You know, it happens in, in our generation. How many times did it happen in our church? Where the leaders were buried or they no longer here and the work continues to go on. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But now Moses is dead and hello Joshua appears. You know, I thought of, um, it's no secret that I like soccer and that I like sport. And, um, and in, in soccer, the coach would have, he's allowed to have three substitutes and he has a couple of guys ready to come on the field. If someone gets injured, this guy's got to be ready. He's already got to know what he's got to do before because the coach is going to have about 30 seconds to explain to him what he wants to do. So he needs to know that he's going to be replacing that guy and he's going to be able to do that role. And it's a little bit, not a little bit, it's a lot like Joshua. You know, Joshua needed to know what he's going to do. How, so he learned all these lessons through Moses and what he's going to do. How is he going to take these people? It's approximately 2 million people that he had to lead. Could you imagine? And they weren't an easy bunch of people, were they? God was so tired of them that they would just grumble and carry on and complain and complain and complain. I could imagine that if 
um, Moses was about to die and he says, who wants to be the next leader? I don't think too many hands would have gone up when they knew what the people were like. And we know very little about Joshua. We know that he was a son of Nun. We know that he came from the tribe of Ephraim. We know what his name means. What does his name mean? Does anyone have a clue? No? Jehovah saves. But I only knew that because I'd done a bit of research. Yes, I don't think that I'm... We're in the same boat. He spent 40 years with Moses as his first assistant. And then we know that he went... Um, that he, he was asked by Moses to go and spy the land. And he came back with a positive res- re- report, him and Caleb. Now, Caleb has a... He, there's a chapter in Joshua chapter 14 where Caleb talks a little bit about... You can ch- search it for yourself in, in verse 7. And around that whole chapter, he talks about what he's been up to and where his life is at now. And... Um, and so over there he says that Caleb says that I was 40 when I went there. So if he was 40, you would think that very close age was, um, was also uh, Joshua. And that would make Joshua now 65. So it kind of also makes sense that when he left Egypt, he was 25 years old, when he started to be um, uh, side by side to watch, um, watch Moses take that role and take that important role and just to learn from him. But the point is, and what I take from here is the good news that God loves to use all the men and all the women. And I'd like to encourage those of you and those of us that are getting a little bit on with years. And I love it when I hear people calling out other people to minister and to be ministry. And I love that we have the welcoming committee. And, you know, all the people are putting up their hands to do that, which is fantastic. Um, Tibor has been asking for someone to visit this lady and that's a ministry and that's a calling to, for people to, to minister. So I'd like to encourage and to think that, you know, it's no time to rest. It's almost like what happened to Moses. When you're 120 years old and God takes you to the mountain, that's when you can say, okay, um, this is it. I don't need to work anymore. It's time to hand the boots. But above everything else, Joshua was a very good soldier, we know. He was a great leader in battle. And there was something that Moses was good at. And it's almost like, you know, if you read through the first 12 chapters of Joshua, it's battle after battle after battle. They had to go and fight these people. And God was with them. God said, I'm going to be with you. And you think, well, maybe, not maybe, we know God knew what he was doing. Yeah? So he takes a 120-year-old and replaces him with a 65-year-old general. And he's, there's a lot to happen. There's a lot of stuff that was going on through the, throughout the whole book of Joshua. It was a really, really tough gig. So the first, few, first 12 chapters, he's taking the land and occupying it. And then the later, the chapters from 13 to 22, he talks about setting the land. So people were to spread all over the land. And it's something very interesting that God had promised them. God said to, 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 to Moses and to the people of Israelites, He said that wherever you go, once you cross the river, I want you to spread and go as far as you can go. And wherever you step, you put your foot on, I will give you that land. And they didn't do that. And that's why Israel now has such a tiny place. It's not a very big place. That was not the idea. And you can read it for yourself in the, in these, in the first chapter of Joshua. 
where God says from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean, it's a big chunk of land. So all of Syria, up to Lebanon, he says, that he was going to give them all that land. But they didn't take, they didn't follow the orders that, um, that God had for them and that he commanded. So, so that's what happens when you don't obey. You don't get what God had in store for you, for us, for them. When, um, can God be trusted? So the question that they had and the Moses, that people had to ask themselves is, can God be trusted? What's going to happen now? Can God be trusted with our future? And I think that that's a question that every generation needs to ask. Can God be trusted? Can we trust God now that our leaders are gone? And I was thinking a bit about our past and there's only probably a handful of people that are here that were the originally with um, Christian Life Fellowship or the Killer Downs Apostolic Christian Church, as we were called some years ago. And I recall that it, that was 38 years ago, by the way. And we were first established. There was four leaders from the US that came. And, um, and we were pretty, not we were, I was pretty young, so I wasn't one of the troublemakers, but they were a pretty difficult bunch of people our church was. And I remember going to, um, to America um, as I'd go to the camps there, and my intentions was just to go to the camps there and to have fun and to just meet new people. And one of the elders would call me to his office and he'd ask me, how is this family doing? How is this other people, how are they doing? So he was in his heart and he had great intentions, but he hardly ever came back here because it was just a difficult gig. You know, people were just really, really hard. So then we had the four leaders and then slowly um, to, to so, so then slowly they stopped coming and a couple of them, I think maybe most of them passed away now, except for one. Um, and, and then they appointed two of our elders and two ministers. After a little while, one stopped coming and two moved to Queensland. And so we had one. And until that one also left. And the intentionally, I don't want to mention anyone's name because I know that they all loved our small church family. And they were committed and they sacrificed so much. But the point that I want to make is that God never left. God Never left us and God never abandoned us. And nothing that matters has changed. And you know that as we move on, as we go on and as we, as the current leaders that we have, as we get old and as other leaders replace us, one thing, and I hope that that never changes. So we need to remember that nothing that matters changes. The same God, the same things that matter to the Israelites, the same God, the same Bible, the same Jesus, the same gospel. That when we first started CLF till now, it's the same gospel. Nothing that matters has changed. And the future will have many challenges. I hope not too many. Probably there will be new young leaders that will come. New people, we hope. New ideas, new programs, new style of music maybe. But the things that matter... I hope that they never change. But it takes time to figure that out. After the death of Moses, the, the Jews must now discover the truth for themselves. That nothing that matters change. And I, like I said, each generation must figure that out for themselves. Can God be trusted? 
when so much has changed? Can God be trusted when our leaders have left? Or said another way, the God of Abraham, is he our God? The God of Isaac, is he our God? The God of Isaac, Jacob, is he our God? And the Jews now must find an answer to the question, the God of Moses, is he our God? You see that Moses had an amazing relationship with God. Remember he went to the Mount of Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And he says that God wrote him on a stone with his finger. Could you imagine carrying that stone back with you? Knowing that God himself wrote that. Each generation must answer that question. Can we still trust God today? And each generation will come to a point where they get to the bottom of the Jordan... They get to the front of the Jordan and they have to ask themselves, can we trust God to get us across? And it wasn't only that, it wasn't only to get to the Jordan, but then there was other challenges in front of that and past that and beyond that. So I would like to, for us to look at four, four steps. First step, number one, is to let go of the past. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. Moses is dead. Don't dwell on Moses. Don't dwell on the good times. You can look back at the good times, but don't stay there. Move on. Get on. Go forward. And this is God himself speaking to Joshua. He's saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan And I think that by this, we'll see exactly what takes place. It's Joshua learned from Moses. You know, he doesn't try to negotiate with God and say, man, but, you know, it's difficult. Isn't there an easier way? Isn't there a better way? He just trusted God and he just obeyed. He knew that if God said, you've got to cross that, you've got to cross it. It's okay to miss the past, but don't miss the future because you're living in the past. Don't miss the future because we're living in the past. I don't know if you know some people that just dwell on the past, dwell on the past, and they just wear you down. And they drag you down. And you just want to say, you know, you've got to move on. We've got to move on. The only way is to move and to go forward. We can't go back. We can't stay here. Sometimes we find ourselves that we're, we're in a really good spot and we like that life just stops and that we stop right where we are. But it's not like that. It's almost like a river that you just, time just goes by. And whether we like it or not, there's going to be good times, there's going to be challenges ahead. And in the other hand, if you're in a very difficult place now and you, you, you want time to, to go by because you're not, you're not in a comfortable spot, and it will go. And by the grace of God, you can and we can move forward one step at a time. Let go of the past and focus on the future. Step number two, get ready to move forward. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites, he says. 
And in the following verses, verses 3, 4 and 5, it talks about what I said just before, about how God had a vision for these people to have a big chunk of land in the Middle East. And all they had to do is occupy it. And in verse 3 he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot on. And he describes it exactly like I said, how far of it God was willing to give to them. But every, with opportunities, enemies often go together, don't they? When there's opportunities, they don't just happen and it's an easy ride. It's usually there's challenges in front. You know, why did God have to choose for them this place, Jericho? Out of all the places across the river, did he have to choose Jericho with the thick walls that there was there? That was just the way that God chose. That was what God wanted for the people, to see that there's going to be challenges, but when there's, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it because I'm with you, God said to Joshua. Apostle Paul said, A great door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many who oppose me. You know, he's a man of God that wanted, all he wanted to do is to fulfill God's will in his life, to spread the gospel. And you think, who would oppose that? Why would people oppose that? But it's happening the generations past, and it's happening now where people oppose God's work to continue. Opportunities and enemies often go together. I believe God's message to us at CLF is that we can stay where we are at, but the action is somewhere else. We can stay where we're at, but the miracles start at the Jordan River. That's where it all started. If they just stayed and they came there, they wouldn't have seen the miracles that God had in store for them. And, the journey, and, and how their faith was going to be strengthened as soon as they took and decided to cross the Jordan. And God is calling and call them to move forward. And he's calling us to move forward. Always move forward. Don't be happy and, and satisfied where you're at. Because your faith will cease to grow if you stop moving forward. Step number three, affirm the promise of God. I love this verse. He says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Affirm the promise of God. I think it's important for us to see that little line there, as I was with Moses. And this is a reaffirming, reassuring Joshua. So Joshua knew that God was with Moses. And now he's saying, he's not only saying, I will be with you. Don't worry, I'm going to be with you. He's saying, as I was with Moses. So you thought of this great, amazing relationship between Moses and I. Well, now I want you to know that as I was with him, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to be with him any different. I'm not gonna, I'm, you, you can't say, I had this special thing with Moses, but it's going to be different for you. No. It's okay, I'm going to be with you. No, as I was. He specifically says it here. As I was with Moses, God says. 
So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Moses, we know that he had a lot of challenges himself as well. You know, when he tried to get the people out of Egypt and tried to negotiate and to, to, to approach Pharaoh and Pharaoh kept refusing and Pharaoh would not let them go and he wouldn't let him go and then we know the story about the plagues how they came down and then the final one when the firstborn was um, died and an angel came and um, took the life of every firstborn in Egypt and only those who had blood of the lamb on the doorpost were spared. Only then did Pharaoh grudgingly agree to let him go. But what a man Moses, eh? What an incredible man. And like I said, when he went finally to the mountain, he didn't, he didn't ask God, please let me go into the land. He knew not to question God anymore. He knew that God knows ultimately and he knows what's best for everyone. Um, I wanted to ask about who, who usually people like either Adidas or Nike, yeah? Um, is there anyone here that's a Nike fan or Adidas fan? Or, no, it doesn't matter anymore. It used to be in the past a lot, yeah? But the reason why you go for Nike is Nike cost. I'm shocked, like sometimes we go and do a bit of window shopping because you never, I'd never pay that kind of money for a pair of runners. There's $250, $300 runners. I think there's even much dearer one. There's like $1,000 runners, which is crazy. And how long can they last? There's something interesting, and I don't know if some of you, I think some of you would know, how long did the runners, how long did the sandals last in the wilderness? 40 years. 40 years. Did you know that their sandals lasted? They didn't wear out through the whole 40 years they lasted. Their shoes lasted. Isn't that amazing? Well, maybe they should have that brand, you know, of shoes now. <laughs> what would we call them? Everlast. Everlast. Forty years, their shoes never wore out. And you can come and see me if you want the, the scripture I wrote, I wrote it on my phone. But it's quite interesting, you know, here's something that I found out myself as well. For 40 years, their shoes did not wear out. They never ran out of food. They didn't have to cook a meal for 40 years. And they never lost a battle in 40 years. What a man, Moses. What an amazing man. I mean, that in itself, yeah, would have been something to... Would have been... <coughs> people would have thought, this is amazing. Our shoes were walking all miles and our shoes are not wearing out. So they had one miracle after another one after another one. But the beauty of the shoes, what I like about it is that each person had their own pair. So you had a miracle in your hands that you could... Actually, it's tangible that you can touch it, you can feel it, you can hold it. So it wasn't something like, yeah, we saw the, the, the Red Sea that parted and that was it. That was 10 years ago, that was 20 years ago. As time went by, you start forgetting about it. This is something that you can touch with your hands every day. A miracle. These shoes are not wearing out. And this was Moses' God, and they would refer and they could see that he was their God. But sometimes, sometimes it's important that we personalize that and we claim that he's our God too. We all heard the, the chant that when the pastor says, God is good, 
all the time. God is good. Now, someone added to that and added that in every situation, no matter what, and thirdly, that I'm a witness of that. Can we say that we're a witness of God is good all the time? All the time God is good? Because that's what they needed to do. They needed to, to be a witness to that. And it becomes a deeper pro- meaning to the promise. You know, and what an, what an amazing promise God is giving here, Joshua. So I will be with you, just as I was with Moses. And then he finishes off by saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're going to go to a lot of battles. You can claim all the land that you want. You've got two million people to settle. Get every family to spread out wherever you put your feet. I'm giving you my word that I will give you that land and I will never leave you nor forsake you. You've got to fight for the land that I'm giving you, but I will go with you wherever you go. Okay, we're getting close to step number four, which is the final. Choose a hard road of obedience. And here is a, a very familiar verse. I broke it in two slides. Um, I believe a lot of people claim this to be their favourite verse in the Bible, or one of them. I know Jessica told me this morning that it was hers. Um, so let's, I'll read it out. And he says, Be strong and courageous because you, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to the ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous, he says. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And I... not. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Repeated it three times. Remember Jesus repeated something to Peter three times? When he asked him, do you love me? It's almost like God knows that a man needs to hear it three times. You need to hear it not only once. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And then he says, have I not commanded you? Have I not told you to be strong and courageous the third time? But he doesn't come without a condition. God's promise has a condition. And he says, be strong and courageous. No doubt Joshua felt overwhelmed with the prospect of taking over Moses' position. And he was a bit insecure maybe. Maybe, And God knew that he had doubt. Just like Jesus knew that what was going through Peter's heart. So he reassures him and he tells him three times, don't be afraid because I'll be with you wherever you go. And the catch here is God's promise comes with a condition. Joshua and the people must obey carefully all the laws of Moses had given them. And at our generation now, it's, it's uh, the word of God. Be careful. Be careful, he says.
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. It's almost like um, it, it's almost like trying to tell us that unless you are careful, you're not going to keep it. So be careful, and it's it's a reminder that we have to continuously remind ourselves. And even though we have that relationship with God, that we know that if it pleases Him, we want to do the things that please our Father. But be careful to obey all the law. It's almost like a diet, isn't it? If you're not careful, you'll give it up in one day. You just have to be careful. No one drifts into hollowness by accident. Why God used Joshua? And I believe is that when Moses died, Joshua was ready. Because God had been preparing him for 40 years. But why did God choose him? Why did God use him? Because he was ready. He was ready and he was up for the challenge. When God called him, Joshua had no master plan, only determination to obey. He didn't have a master plan. He didn't have a plan that he's going to, a strategic plan that he's going to do this and that and that. God said, cross the Jordan. He crossed the Jordan. God said, and we'll look at the next chapters in other sermons. Then God said, walk around the city. And I asked that question not long ago. How many times did they march around the city? And everyone thought it was seven, but it was 13 or something, wasn't it? Because he had to run around, walk around the city once a day. And then on the last day, on the seventh day, march around the seven times. And he didn't say why. Why not just once like the first time? He just obeyed. He just obeyed and the walls came tumbling down. And when he ordered the people to move out, he had no, God never told him what was going to take place. He had no inside information that the walls were going to come tumbling down. And that's how God operates. You know, sometimes we want to know and we want to know ahead of time. Like, okay, God, if you want me to do this, just let me know. You know, what's going to happen after seven times? Are the walls going to come down? Are the walls going to still stay up? Are we going to have a lid opening? Do we have to knock doors down? What's the plan here? We need to know. We want to know. We can't just go blindly. But that's not how God operates. God wants us to just obey. Just do it. Just do it. And leave the rest up to me. And when they dared to trust, that's when miracles took place. So just a summary. I think I have it in the next slide. It says, when we let go of the past, we're free to pursue God's vision for our future. When we lead with courage, others will follow our example, true? When you have courage, others will have courage. You encourage others. And when they, when Joshua dared to trust and obey, miracles started to happen. The wars started coming down. A lot of you will know who John Wayne is, eh? He tells you of our generation and our age. But John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death. And settling up anyway. Getting on that horse anyway. Being scared to death. And the final quote is Billy Graham said. 
Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others often stiffen. So when a man takes a stand, others, their backs stiffen. So God had great plans for the Israelite. God had a great future for his people. And the same goes for CLF. God has a great plan, a great future. And let's dare to trust God and to obey. Let's dare to trust him. Let's dare to obey him. And just blindly obey him and trust him. Not knowing and not having all the answers that we would like to have before we even step across and put our foot into the Jordan River. It's not easy and there will be challenges. But never forget that God said to Joshua and he tells us that be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go.